Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. spend a little time talking about the law and how great it is. And that might seem a little bit odd because um, we believe so strongly in God's grace. Um, we, we just believe that whatever we have, whatever we are, however we know God, it's all his doing. It's all the grace of God working in us. And, and uh, in, in fact, we um, usually speak of the law as being a a sign of religion rather than relationship. Um, but I would like to talk about um, the law because, after all, God did give the law. It's a little bit odd because we, we love grace so much. In fact, one of the joys of preaching on a regular basis is that you get to preach the grace of God. You get to proclaim that when we come before God's throne, we don't plead our own goodness and we don't talk about our own achievement and accomplishment, that we don't come before God and have, and, and have him notice how high we have attained on the, on the level of success, but rather we come before God and we kneel before him and we claim only the blood of Jesus, no other name but the name of Jesus to enter into the presence of God. And what a glorious thing it is to preach Sunday after Sunday after Sunday that it is God's grace that has opened the way for us to enter into his presence. You know, one of the great things about the, the ministry we have here in our church is that from time to time we have people come into our fellowship and they've come out of legalistic, religion-bound uh, traditions. They were Christian churches, but they were churches that taught legalism. They taught that you had to obey certain regulations, that you had to conform to certain standards of behavior, and some of them were good, and some of them were arbitrary, and some of them, frankly, were psychologically unhealthy, and they've come into the church believing God cannot and will not love them unless they are good, unless they keep the, the law, unless they are perfect in their adherence into God's expectations for their lives. And then they come to a place such as this and start to hear that, yes, God demands holiness, but God gives the power of the Holy Spirit by his grace to work that holiness in us. And that, yes, God wants us to relate to him on the basis of, of an obedient life directed entirely towards him. But they come to understand that takes place because of the cross of Jesus Christ who died in our place and made it all possible. And that it's grace that brings us into the throne room and not our works. And oh, to see the joy that lights up a person's face when they come to understand and it finally clicks in their mind. It's grace. It's grace. It's grace. And what a joy it is to preach grace Sunday after Sunday. So today I want to talk about the law. <laughs> we need rules. We need regulations in our lives. And, you know, when you're driving up and down the road, you, you're, you're obeying aren't you? You're obeying the laws, you're driving on the correct side of the road, and, and you're obeying the posted speed limit. You don't want that guy next to you driving by grace, do you? Hey, I'm driving by grace. <laughs> you want him driving by law, <laughs> and you want him adhering to the law. The only time you want grace when you're driving is when they pull you over for breaking the law. 
But we need rules that regulate our behavior and, our, and, and, and uh, uh, tell us how to respect one another and not to uh, intrude upon one another's lives and, and violate the rights of one another. We need those kinds of rules and, and, and regulations in our lives. But even more importantly, as living as human beings and in the presence of God, we need the law to tell us how that's done. When God created Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden and he set them up for life. I mean, this was better than the publisher's clearinghouse. They were set for life. And God gave them a commandment. The first commandment that he gave them was be fruitful and multiply, but that's a different sermon. But when he placed them in the garden, he said to them, look, I want you to eat of every tree in this garden. It's a variable, veritable smorgasbord of trees. That is such a mixed metaphor, it doesn't even have any meaning. But you, you can just, you, you can partake of any tree you want in the garden. It's absolutely open for you. But look, I put two trees in the middle of this garden. One of them's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the other is the tree of life. And I don't want you to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you to eat of that tree. You can eat of any other tree. I've given it to you. Don't eat of that tree because it'll kill you. And I don't want you to die. See, God gave them a law. God gave them a law, and the law told them who God is. That commandment told them that God is sovereign and supreme, that God is holy and righteous, that this God was a God who loved them and provided for them. That law told them that this God had expectations only for their blessing and their welfare and mine. The law told them who God is, but the law also told them who they were. The law told them that they were expected to be obedient to their father. And they were expected to live lives that reflected who God is as sovereign Lord and creator. They were told who they were, and they were told, here's how the universe works. When you sin, you die. Here's how the system works. When you trust God and do what he says, you'll have an abundance and you will never suffer. But when you violate God's commandment, you will die. That's the way the universe works. And so God gave to Adam and Eve, he gave them a law. He gave them commandments to tell them who he is, who they are, and how the universe works, how the world works. We need those kinds of commandments. And this is what you do when you love somebody. When you love children, you have children in the home, what are you doing? You're teaching them commandments. You're teaching them law. And at first, they don't quite get it. What do I mean at first, they don't quite get it? No, for a very long time, they don't get it. All right? But you keep teaching them the law, you know? And, and, and to the mind of your preschooler, to the mind of your elementary school child, it just sounds like you're being arbitrary, you're just trying to tell me I can't have any fun. Don't play in the street, you know. What's with that? You just don't want me to have any fun. What a killjoy you are, Mom and Dad. No, I love you. And when you're too young to understand, I don't, I don't care if you understand. I'm going to make you not play in the street. And some, one of the issues that, that, that we dealt with with our boys was that of listening. You... Your children always listened and came when you called. So you won't relate to this, but, but my boys sometimes had trouble. I, I had to repeat their names. You know, on David's birth certificate, it says, David, David. <laughs> I won't tell you what John says. 
You're trying to teach them to listen, teach them to listen. Why? Because you want them to stop having fun? Partly. No, it's because you want them to learn how to listen to something other than their whim, to listen to something other than their impulse, to listen to something other than their appetite, so that when they grow and they come to understand that there's a God who loves them, they will listen to God and they will obey their Father in heaven. That's the point of it. That's the point of it. And so we, we teach law. That's what you're doing. You're teaching law. You're teaching obedience. You're teaching the skills of submitting their will to the will of the Heavenly Father. That's what you're teaching and raising your children. And so God's gift of the law to us is a gift to teach us who he is, who we are, how the world works, and teach us so that we might know and love God and live lives that are, that are blessed by his presence uh, in, in us. That's why God gives us the law. And so as the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, God gave them the law. That's one of the things he did through Moses. You remember that? Moses went up on the mountain and the children down in the valley uh, rose up to play and all that. But uh, anyway, while he's up in the mountain, God gave him the law. God gave Moses the law. He came down with, for example, the Ten Commandments. And he said, look, here's, here's God's expectation for your life. He wants you to know that there's only one God. There's only one God worthy of your life. Only one God and don't have any others. You need to understand that you won't worship a creature as an idol, but you'll worship the creator who brought you into existence and sustains you even now. You'll keep his name holy and your lips and your language will be blessed by always pointing to the graciousness of God to you. You won't take his name in vain. You're going to treat time as something belongs to God because time is something created by God. You'll set aside that seventh day and you'll keep it holy as a representation that all of time belongs to him. You'll keep your family sacred and your honor, your mother and your father. For God. That's God's plan for bringing people into the world and you'll honor that standard. You're not going to kill each other. You're not going to commit adultery and you're not going to steal from one another and lie to each other. Because those are the kinds of things that will just tear you up. And don't covet. Don't have that attitude that's so selfish that says everything's got to be about me. Everything's got to be mine. That's what coveting is. That's one of the things Moses talked about when, when he brought down the law. He said, look, God gave us this law, and this is how we are supposed to live. And what a glorious gift of grace that is. Now, look, when, when Moses came down, some of those commandments were new to these folks, uh, I, I suspect. You know, the one on idolatry they weren't clear on. Uh, you know, and that kind of thing. But when Moses said, thou shalt not kill, they said, well, well, die. Everybody knows that. No, everybody doesn't know that. Because when Moses brought that law and that commandment from God, and God said, thou shalt not kill, it grounded the sanctity of human life in the character and the nature of God himself. And if the sanctity of life is not grounded in God, it will be grounded in something of the world, and it will be taken away. This is why we believe so deeply in the holiness of life, all life, because it's grounded in God. And oh, what a blessing it is for God to have shown us that and to command that. See, the law was a gift of God's grace. 
when Moses came down off the mountain, uh, there were a whole series of laws. Some of the laws were cultic laws. That is, they were laws about how to worship. They were laws about how to build the tabernacle and where to put the altar and the showbread and, and the Ark of the Covenant and all that. And each thing, each commandment God gave about the tabernacle was saying something about the holiness of God and his intention to save his people through his son. God gave the whole system of sacrifices and you know, we get bogged down when we're reading the list of sacrifices in the Old Testament. There's a sacrifice for this and for that and for this and the other. There's a certain sacrifice for a certain sin, another sacrifice for another sin. If you're poor, it's this sacrifice. If you're rich, it's this sacrifice. And it goes on and on and on. But oh, the gift of God's grace that he gave a system whereby people could be forgiven. And they would see that forgiveness came at the price of blood. And it pointed to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross when he who knew no sin shed his blood for us. Oh, what a gift of grace those laws about how to worship are. Some of the laws are just civil laws. They're, they're laws about how to run the camp, things about where to put the latrine, you know, things like that. And, but you know those civil laws, they're fulfilled in Jesus? You do know that he's king of kings and that he is the Lord of lords and that he has all power and authority. And there is no government on earth that is not below, beneath Jesus. That's why we must always be a nation under God. If we are not a nation under God, we will be a nation under the whim and the impulse of man. And folks, you don't want to live that way. What a gift of God's grace that he gave civil ordinances and civil commandments about how to run the government, but fulfilled in Jesus. But God gave us the moral law. He told us what is good and how to live a life that is pleasing to him and a life that manifests and reflects the righteousness of God. He gave that in the moral law, and Jesus fulfills the moral law. He came and lived a sinless life in our midst. So when Moses gave the law to Israel, all of that law, the cultic, the civil, the moral law, all of that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But it was all pointing to him. And those Jews who were, who were really understanding what God was saying took a great deal of comfort. They were excited about the fact that God had been gracious enough to talk to them and tell them, here's how you can please me. You don't have to guess I'm going to tell you how to do it. So the gift of the law is a gift of God's grace. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 1, he says, blessed is the man who doesn't, you know, skirt around and, and tool around and pal around with the ungodly and, and talk about what they want and sit in their councils, but blessed is the man rather whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on the law, he meditates day and night. It was a beautiful thing to think and to pray about the law of God. Because it told the Jews of the Old Testament who God is, who they were, and how the world works. But what went wrong? What went wrong? Well, first thing that happened was that God's people forgot the law, and they forgot the law giver. In the book of Judges, over and over again, we read this refrain, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That is, they abandoned the law of God and everybody decided, well, what seems right to me? What seems like a good thing to do for me? And that's what they did. And the book of Judges is a story about everyone doing what's right in their own eyes, called sin, captivity, 
God delivering them through the uh, ministry of a judge, the people coming back to God in revival and then doing what is right in their own eyes. And again and again and again, they forgot the law and they forgot the law giver, ultimately resulting in the, in the exile to Babylon. And in that setting in Babylon, they realized they'd forgotten the law giver. They thought, and, and by the way, historically, this is about the time when the Pharisees get started, uh, just, a, just not quite exactly, but about this time, the Pharisees get started and they start thinking about, well, what's the answer to all this? They said, we've forgotten the law, we've forgotten the lawgiver. Here's the answer to that, we need to keep the law. So the Pharisees started talking about all these commandments of God. We've got to keep them. Everybody's got to keep them. We've all got to keep them. Maybe if we all keep them, God, God will accept us and God won't be mad at us. And so the Pharisees lived very righteous lives. Jesus said your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees, right? And they lived very righteous lives because they were keeping the law. But what they forgot was that keeping the law is no substitute for knowing the lawgiver. And just obeying a system of rules is no substitute for having a relationship. And then they decided, well, we've got the law and we don't want to break the law. We need more laws. And they just, so they started adding man-made rules and regulations. They started talking about how far can you walk on a Sabbath and how much can you, uh, uh, you know, lift on a Sabbath and what can you do and what can you not do. And, and they just had rule after rule after rule after rule. And then they thought their rules were equal to God's law. And that's where they started attacking Jesus and nitpicking with Jesus. Oh, Jesus, on the Sabbath, look, 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 your, your, your disciples, we saw them pick some grain and roll it in their hands and eat it. Aha, they were cooking on the Sabbath. See, they were after Jesus for that because they thought the law, just keeping the law was all that mattered. And they missed the lawgiver. They missed the Messiah. See, Paul was there with them. This, this is what Paul thought. He, he was raised a Pharisee. And Paul himself, he, he thought that, you know, the, the whole point of knowing God is to keep the law and to keep the commandments and make sure you don't violate any of these, these, these rules that we have. And Paul was very uptight on all that. But one day, somewhere on the road to Damascus, he came face to face with Jesus Christ, who said, Paul... You missed the point. You're persecuting the very one that God sent to fulfill the law. And in that moment, Paul realized that all his righteousness was nothing but filthy rags in the sight of God. And all those things he was so proud of, his religion and his law keeping and his success in, in, in keeping the law, all that Paul realized is nothing. Belonged on the garbage dump compared to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So then Paul wrote about the law, and uh, we, we won't look at it, but in, in, in Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 23, Paul says, you know what the law is? This is Galatians 3. Paul says, the law is like a guardian, or maybe a schoolmaster. The law, uh, well, you see, back then, um, if, if you li lived in a Greek household, and your children went to school, 
uh, one of your servants would come to the house and would gather your children and would take them to school and deposit them in school. And then when school was over, that servant would take them back home again. That servant was a guardian to lead them to school and home again. It was called a pedagogue. Get our word pedagogue from it. And this guardian was assigned the task of leading the children to the truth. Paul says, the law of God is our guardian, our pedagogue. It's our, our schoolmaster who leads us to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Because the law of God points to Jesus. Points us to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Paul says, that's what the law is all about. And so when I tell you that we're saved by grace, I'm not saying the law is wrong. I'm just saying this grace is where we've been headed all along. He said, and, and here's, here's something of how it works. And this, this is what Romans 7 is about that we just looked at. And I'll just allude to it briefly. But Paul said, when, before I knew about the law, he said, I had no idea what sin was. He said, I didn't even know sin. When he says that, he doesn't mean I didn't know it experientially. He did, he did know that. He said, I didn't know it was sin. I had a disease and it didn't have a name yet. I knew I was sick, but nobody could tell me why. I knew my life was, was, was breaking down and no one could put a label on it and tell me why it was happening. He said, but when the law came, suddenly I understood what the problem was. And he uses the example of coveting. It's, a, it's an interesting uh, example to use uh, because coveting, you know, thou shalt not covet, that, that's the commandment that you, you can violate and nobody knows. I'm not coveting right now. I'm just admiring your car. But I'm not coveting. By the way, it's, it's okay to covet. <laughs> not really, but... But the one time I confessed to coveting, I got a free GPS system out of it. So um, that, that's another story, and I'm just delighting in it myself right here. Okay, but, but he chooses coveting because it's something that goes on inside of you, inside of your head. And you can fool the world, and they'll never know. But when the commandment said, thou shalt not covet, he said, suddenly I understood I was selfish in ways you wouldn't believe. He said, suddenly I understood that this thing of sin isn't just about what other people see. It's about what's going on so deep inside of me. It's, a, it's at the core of who I am. And that's why he says, when, when I found out there was sin, suddenly sin came alive. He said, I was okay before I knew it. Not that, oh, fine, if I'd never knew sin, I'd, 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 the, the law, I'd, I'd, I'd be fine. But he was saying, I, I was happy. I was happy in the ignorance. But when the law showed me what God really wanted... I realized I could never get there. And sin took hold of my life, and I started coveting in all kinds of ways. This is what Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember he said, yeah, you've, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill? But I'm telling you, that commandment is about the heart. It's about what goes on in your head. It's what goes on inside of you that expresses who you really are. And if you look in there, you'll find bitterness and anger and spitefulness. And when you do, you have found murder in your heart. 
And, and Jesus did that with the other commandments. Uh, the, the, the point being that Jesus was teaching what Paul is, is reflecting here, and that is that the commandments shine the spotlight of God's righteousness on our sinful estate. And folks, that is an act of God's grace. God's grace to let us know that's what is happening. So Paul ends the paragraph in verse 12. He says, so the law is holy. God is holy. In the law, Leviticus chapter 20, it says, you be holy because God is holy. I am holy. You be holy. The law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. There's nothing wrong with God's law. The problem is our hearts. And the law shines the light on that. We're going to leave that here uh, for this morning. But, but God, get here. Let me tell you, next week we're going to see, Paul says, and I struggled with this. I struggled with it. And I could never get to the point where I could obey the law in my mind and in my heart. And he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Thanks be to God. That's the answer. That's the answer. That's where we're headed. That's sort of a preview. Forget I said that uh, because we're still here in this, this passage. And so uh, Paul says the law is good and it's holy and it's righteous. Now, his invisible friend at this point wants to say, Paul, you can't do that. You can't do that because we're Jews. And laws like keeping the Sabbath and our diet laws, that, that's who we are, Paul. We can't let go of that. And I wonder if Paul didn't turn to his friend and said, but let me tell you what Jesus said. When they nitpicked at him and said, Jesus, you're breaking the Sabbath because your, your disciples plucked some grain and turned it into mush and ate it. And, and that, that, they shouldn't do that. Here's what Jesus said. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord of the law. The Son of Man is Lord over all the things the law commands because each and every one of them is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Not for the world would I want you even to think about going back to legalism. Not once in any way would I want you to even approach thinking that God's love for you is somehow dependent on being good enough and earning it. I want you to live in the grace of God in Jesus Christ where you know that God loved you so much that when you were a sinner and a rank enemy of God, that's when Christ died for you. That's when his blood was shed for you. I want you to know the grace of God. But I want you to understand what Paul knew, and that is that the law shows us the holiness of God, who he is, the sinful estate of man, who we are, and shows us the answer for it all and by pointing to Jesus Christ. And so this coming week, I just want to invite you to just delight in the law of God. Delight in that law that tells us what to do, but then tells us that Jesus has fulfilled that and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be obedient, not to earn God's love, but just to express how much we love him. This coming week, I'd like you to be obedient. There's something, you know, is there something God's been asking you to do? You know, God's been asking you to do this thing, and you keep saying, God, 
I'm saved by grace because I'm not going to do it. Now about be the time to say, God, I'm saved by grace. And because of your grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to honor and please you with obedience in my life. I'd like you to give your life to that, that kind of delight in the law of God. Because his law is holy and righteous and good. Let's pray together. Father, it is a sign of your love for us that you have expectations for us. It is a sign of your love that you will not let us go in our sin and our rebellion, but you come to us and show us our condition. Sign of your grace that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, that your grace would overcome our sin. Father, thank you for being kind and gracious, merciful and loving toward us. But Father, in response, let your Holy Spirit work in us lives of obedience, lives that reflect your holiness, lives that give you glory. Father, that you would be praised, honored, and adored in Jesus' name.